Welcome to episode 292 of the No Presidium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters, aka the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we're talking about Sherwood and Nottingham, season two. This is the series from Spy Brunch, uh, the LA company best known for the Safe House series of shows. Uh, this is an online series, which from the name, you can probably guess is about uh, is about Robin Hood. Uh, I, I said that almost apologetically. Uh, I love Robin Hood, so I don't know <laughs> why I said it that way. Like, I, I'm, 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 yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty solid Robin Hood nerd when it comes down to it. Let's just, let's just be clear about that. Uh, so anyway, uh, this series, uh, the season one jumped off in November of last year, uh, ran for four weeks into December. If you want to, you can check out, we've got a review on the site of season one. Season two is a brand new jumping on point. Um, this is an incredibly ambitious series that leverages elements of alternate reality games, online immersive theater, uh, uh, role-playing games, like live-action role-playing games, and it's all it's all kind of pulled together in this mix of websites and zooms and uh, encounters on Gather. So we're gonna we're gonna get into all that, get into all the moving pieces, getting to into the world building and the ambition with uh, two members of the creative team. That would be Nick Reinwell Jones, who's the co-creator and co-director of the series, and Shoshana Green, who is the supervising creative producer producer on the show. So we're going to dive into all of that in just a few minutes here. One caveat uh, in terms of the production quality, uh, I sound like I'm off mic, which means that the recording device was doing something weird because I was definitely talking directly into the mic just like I am right now. They sound great. I sound like I'm very far away. I'm not very far away, just farther away. And I got it cranked up as far as I can go. So I don't know what's going on there. I'm going to troubleshoot. Computers, man. Computers. Mm. All right. So that's what's up with that. Um, hey, you you want to make things better around here for us? Give us some money. Uh, Patreon.com slash no proscenium is how you help us out. Uh, you are probably listening to this on the 1st of May. Uh, we are currently at 342 backers. And our goal, our goal right now and it won't clearly be our goal for May, but our goal is to get up to 500 backers. 500 backers, all of them coming in at about uh, $5 a month. $2 a month if five's too much for you, but we are an independent media outlet. Uh, this is how I pay my bills, and we need your support. Straight up. Uh, and if there'll ever is going to come a day when uh, we can really make a serious impact, it's going to mean a lot of people are chipping in. We are at the point in our social media world where 500 backers would be about 10% of our regularly uh, interacting uh, followers. So uh, please, please, if you can, uh, come on through. We need your help. Two bucks if uh, if that's all you got. Five dollars a month if you can. Uh, and help us build some runway here for what we need to do because we just keep on cranking out the hits. Uh, 
so you know, one of the things we've added on this week uh, in our Discord, at least for the next couple of months, we'll see. We'll see how the reaction goes. We're doing a regular Wednesday night critics roundtable. Uh, just call it the review crew for now. Uh, we did an episode this week. Uh, it is always going to be free to listen to it live. Uh, right now, it's on our Patreon uh, for our Patreon backers only up through Monday. Uh, so backer exclusive through Monday for this first episode. And then on on Monday, that's going to release uh, on the Patreon. So not on this podcast feed, but you got to go to the Patreon uh, and you can listen to it there. You can see what the Wednesday night show is about. You can also come into the Discord on this coming Wednesday night and check out what's up. Uh, we'll post when that's happening uh, early next week. I think it's I think it's going to be seven o'clock uh, Pacific, just because there's a there's a, a show everyone's going to at six or at five. Moving targets all the time. Anyway, long and the short of it is new show starting with this next week. Always backer exclusive, so it's going to be behind the paywall. Uh, in terms of the recording, you can always listen live and participate but it'll be a backer exclusive uh, going forward. And we'll see if people like it. And if they do, we'll keep doing it. And if they don't, we'll stop because there's a lot of stuff to be done. We also started this week a brand new feature on the site, kind of a companion piece to that. It's called The Rundown. These are capsule reviews of shows and events and just experiences that the team has gone gone out and done. Uh, in the week or weeks prior, we had a lucky 13 capsules in the first run of the rundown. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And this is going to let us cover a lot more. And you know, you know us, we're talking immersive theater, we're talking online immersive theater, we're talking experiential museums, escape rooms, virtual reality, anything and everything that might come under the immersive or experiential umbrella that's going into the rundown. So short reviews, covering a lot, hopefully leading you to your next great adventure. If you also want help finding that next great adventure, everythingimmersive.com, that's our sister site. There's our searchable index of the immersive world. If you are a creator and you want coverage from us, that's where you need to go. That's how you get into the newsletter. That's how you get searchable. And we're, we're Uh, We're refining that site all the time. Coming up is going to be a great feature for creators. We are adding uh, the option to add your Patreon link to your creator page. And once we can, we're going to roll that out also to the event pages so that you can have a link directly on your page right to... uh, to help people uh, help people find a way to support you. We're very much into this. It's our whole deal. We want everyone to be able to make a living doing this, including us at patreon.com slash no proscenium. Thank you to our sustaining backers who uh, give me the, the courage I need to take this gamble uh, every day of my life. That would be Ari Hurston, Brittany, Elaine, Emily Gillette, Lonnie Hanson, Paul F., Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sydney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all so much. And I encourage everyone listening to please, please join the Discord because we are really starting to kind of pull pull into, go dive deeper in the community in the Discord and uh, free ourselves of the shackles of uh, algorithmically based social media. <sighs> 
you gotta say it with a robot voice. You really do. Okay, that's enough plugging. You've been plugged out for like three minutes here, but um, makes makes all the difference for us. Let's set the scene here for a moment as we uh, as we're about to jump into this interview. Uh, I will say straight out, there have been few online projects as ambitious as Sherwood and Nottingham in this past year. Uh, Spy Brunch has pushed the envelope in terms of uh, what these platforms can do and in terms of keeping all these moving pieces going. And there's so, there's so much happening in what they've been doing. It's just absolutely fascinating to me. Uh, and I'm really glad that they're going in for a season two and they're iterating and they're, they're going to see how much farther they can take it. So let's get into this interview. Today, we have part of the creative team of Sherwood and Nottingham Season 2. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, because that's what's working better on the show these days. So, starting off, we have... Hi, I'm Nick Reinwald-Jones. I'm co-creator director of Sherwood and Nottingham. And I am Shoshana Green, the supervising creative producer of Sherwood and Nottingham. So, Nick, for people who, who didn't uh, catch Season 1, or maybe don't know... Uh, could you give a breakdown, just like the the elevator pitch for what Sherwood and Nottingham is, and then I'm going to start peppering you guys with a bunch of questions about season two and and you know the evolution of the project, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So Sherwood and Nottingham uh, started off as an attempt to create a true immersive experience online, and uh, we, uh, Caitlin and I, co-created it based on. A uh, pilot Caitlin that Schiller, I, just Caitlin Schiller, yes, and I created yeah. <laughs> and co-created it based on a uh, a script that I had written many years ago when I was still trying to be a screenwriter and hitting my head against the wall. And I had written this pilot that was based on a sort of modern reinterpretation of Robin Hood existing in a world where there was modern technology, but there were still monarchies and everything like that. And I really liked the world building that I did for that. And uh, I, I sort of had pitched it to, to Caitlin early on in our collaboration in, in Spy Brunch when, when we became uh, full partners in Spy Brunch as uh, doing it as sort of like a chapter-wise in-person immersive experience, sort of similar to uh, the Speakeasy Society's Kansas collection. And when, when the pandemic hit, as we begin every sentence now, <laughs> um, <laughs> we... Uh, you know, we knew we, we couldn't do anything in person and yet we still wanted to do something that felt like a deep and meaningful experience and doing something like uh, something that would have a lot of like world building and immersion in a way that we couldn't necessarily do in person would be something that would take place over a longer period of time. And that's kind of what we settled on would was to do something that was that took a little bit more of the structure of a TV series where it unfolds from week to week, uh, long term, you're invested in the characters and storylines. And the way that we decided to play that out in practice was to have a combination of platforms. We have a website uh, that you that you visit that is uh, basically the online presence of your city. And as the title indicates, you are when you buy a ticket, you are assigned to live in the city of either Sherwood or Nottingham. And 
you participate in this world through these different platforms, through the through the website, through sort of uh, like uh, forums on the website, through uh, live events that are streamed on Twitch, uh, live events on Zoom, and then also live events on Gather, which if anyone doesn't know is a new platform that was developed within the last couple of years that sort of combines uh, an 8-bit video game interface with live webcams. And you can do a lot of really cool fun uh, stuff that sort of melds the line between video games and immersive theater and live chat and everything like that. So that we basically just did this four-week experience uh, that took place across all these platforms and followed a storyline in this Robin Hood-inspired universe. And the players really got to be uh, true citizens of the world and be characters in the world in a way that uh, was actually meaningful to the story. Uh, We actually... Unlike anything that we've created with Spy Brunch before, we actually assign uh, characters to people when they buy tickets. So we actually give them character names and assign them to, if they're VIP players, we assign them to a guild. So they belong to a different guild and they have different sort of responsibilities or storylines that they become involved in. And uh, we we had a lot of fun doing that and we we wanted to continue the story. So now we are uh, we are doing season two and really trying to take everything to the next level. Uh, Shoshana, if I if I missed anything there, please uh, fill in the gaps. That's my no. That sounded great. <laughs> now, now I I was lucky enough to get to play in season one, so I'm going to have some like deeper dive questions to go. But like Shoshana, I wonder if you could just uh, before we start cracking in, uh, define what your role on the production is. So we because it is so immersive, and because we are basically building an entire world. Uh, we have uh, different people on the team, as, 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 I, as I suppose you normally would, who are in charge of different uh, aspects of the uh, creation of the game. So you have someone whose main focus is the puzzles. We have someone who the main focus is the guilds. We have someone who the main focus is sort of character and costume uh, and, de- and that sort of development uh, and we have, uh, um, and then, and then we have someone who's in charge of, I don't want to say, cause it's sort of a very particular part of season two and I don't want to give anything away. Um, and then, uh, my position is my main job is overseeing all of the creative people and making sure that everyone's storylines and everything are matching up. And then. Also within that, um, there is a uh, a newspaper, an in-world newspaper. Uh, that's one of the ways we get information out to the players. Uh, but I'm uh, in charge of the newspaper, so I write most of the articles there with a lot of help from Nick. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then also I play a character, a small a small part as well. So kind of a a little bit between sort of a script supervisor position, continuity cop, so kind of almost like a, an executive editor like role, like mixed in with a with some managerial things. So just there's it's a it's shifting through like a lot of different modes because of just how sprawling. Ex- yeah, it, exactly. And then and really like Nick and Caitlin do most of that stuff as well. It's because there's so many details, I feel like as many eyes on something as possible that's the best way to get it done. Yeah. And we, you know, I I mentioned it being similar to a TV series. So I think we sort of 
look at it like Caitlin and I are the showrunners and Shoshana is like our super important second in command to, you know, be our, you know, be an extension of our eyes and ears on, on everything and, you know, help us supervise this great team that we have. You guys spent how long developing? Because uh, I know there was some testing going on before you launched uh, the first season back in November of last year. Yeah, so uh, I think Caitlin and I decided to actually pull the trigger on doing the show uh, sometime in the summer, like either June or July. Uh, I think it was more toward June, if I'm remembering right. Uh, and then we... So it began with just the two of us talking about what it could be. And once we had enough of a handle that we felt like we could talk to other people about it, then uh, Shoshana was, I'm pretty sure, the first person that we talked about it. And because we, we want, well, first of all, we just wanted to talk to people and say, is this anything? <laughs> <laughs> is this possible? <laughs> and if it wasn't anything, then obviously we would have been happy to hear that and, you know, make adjustments accordingly. But we had enough people, including Shoshana, say, oh, this does feel like something that uh, we we felt encouraged to to continue with it and then you know it was like putting together the team for a heist movie we just started adding people to the team one by one and uh and then you know getting together virtually and uh and building out what the what the experience would actually look like because uh in you know again we were we were starting from a script that i had so i had some familiarity with what you know sort of what i wanted some of the world and characters to be but in terms of actually translating it to uh, an immersive experience, especially an online immersive experience, especially a multi-platform online immersive experience, there were so many steps in between to figure out that uh, I knew that we needed help. And so we we did sort of, you know, isolate different roles for people creatively and figure out, uh, you know, as a, as a team, how to do a lot of different things. And then also again, individually sort of like where to delegate these different responsibilities. And that all took place, you know, kind of, uh, again, in like June and July, we, we set a date to start a beta test because, you know, as with any immersive experience, we wanted to do a play test, but in this case, it wasn't something that we could do a two hour play test. Obviously we had to, this was going to be a month long experience. So we needed to see what it would look like to have people be in the world for a while. So we planned to do a three week beta test uh, in August of last year. And that was, uh, it was, it was really exciting and, and nerve wracking to sort of get everything to, to get the world ready enough to do that. Uh, but that experience gave us so much information and so much help. And also we, you know, we basically told the players who were doing the beta test, you are helping to build the world with us. You know, you are coming into a world that in some aspects is sort of empty and you are filling it in. I mean, obviously we had a lot of story in mind and we, we sort of planned a sort of prequel story for the beta test, but in terms of, you know, like they were the people that went into, you know, they were like the first people into Best Buy when the new game came out, basically, like they were the people that, uh, that like, you know, started posting in the forums and started, you know, uh, showing up to events and participating in everything and, and giving us a feel for what uh, player participation would look like. And then what also, you know, we could provide more for the actual season. So we took all that information, you know, after uh, the month of August and spent another couple months developing what would be season one. And so, yeah, in total, it was probably, uh, yeah, like six, seven months of, of development to, to get to that. And then of course, uh, during season one, we were also, you know, figuring out a lot 
uh, yeah. <laughs> as we went, because even having done the beta test, we didn't know precisely what it was going to look like, uh, you know, once we made the changes that we knew we needed to make after the beta test, and also just what it was going to look like uh, with the full story and experience that we had in mind. So it was it was a really uh, interesting, exciting, sometimes scary experience uh, that we have learned a lot from and are happy to get back into. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest, the working on this show has been one of the most thrilling experiences of my life. I know that sounds extreme, but it is a hundred percent true. I've, I've worked with a lot of companies who are doing things, you know, they're trying to do something new and a lot of times they fall apart because you know, the idea isn't good enough or, you know, there's personality issues. I feel like this is one of those amazing times in your life where all of this weird skills you've developed as a creative person through your life, finally, I have a place where I can use all of them. And it's so like, it is so scary. And it is so weird. But honestly, working on the show has been one of the most that's the best word I can think of, but it's one of the most thrilling experiences as a, as a creative person that, I, that I've ever been a part of. With, with so many moving parts to what you guys built, what did you, what was like the first kind of harsh lesson you learned in the beta test? And did it, did it lead to something that wound up being really solid or, or beloved? That's such a good question. I think from from my perspective, I think one of the biggest lessons we learned is that <laughs> so we are creating something new, but every time you create something new for an audience, that means the audience is new too. They don't know what you're doing, so they don't know how to behave and figuring out how to inform the audience about, you know, the limitations of their power, uh, I think was one of the biggest hurdles that I think we're still working on, how to figure out how to best utilize the audience's power. I feel like this is a show that gives the audience more agency than any show, I don't know, ever, possibly. That's a huge claim. It might be true. (laughs) I, I don't know if anyone's doing what we're doing right now. Uh, I'd say, I mean, just, you know, I'd say there's a lot of LARP in what you guys Definitely, definitely. And so, like, there's there's a way in which, there's a way in which, you know, there's there's a chance for, and and I've seen this in LARPs before, right? Like, you know, you, you sometimes have a LARP where the LARP runners have a very definite idea of what mm. they want to do because maybe they're approaching it a little bit more like a tabletop, you know, um, role-playing game session. Right. And you get those game masters who are just like, Oh, I've got a story I'm telling. And then you run into the characters and the players and the players are like, all, Oh, well, we don't, we, we don't want to go to the dragon mountain. <laughs> right. Wasted in this inn. They never want to go to the dragon mountain. Yeah, no, they never want to go to the dragon mountain. Right. You know, it's like, they, they want to they go to ne- Candy Apple Island. They, they, ah, never, damn it. they never actually want to do Ravenloft, 
right? Like you buy it, you set it all up, you're like, you've been practicing your Strahd for weeks. And then, you know, they never leave the tavern because they get really interested in the tavern politics or something. And so, you know, there's there's definitely a level here where that that there can be like a tension. There's also, there's and there's always a tension, particularly in something that feels LARPy because LARP by its nature you know, there's a lot of unattended time, right? Mm. The difference between a tabletop game and a LARP is, and I started learning this literally like the first time we accidentally LARPed when I was in high school because there was like, there was something like 20 of us who had all gone and seen like, one of like the Kiefer Sutherland Three Musketeers movie, and then oh, the good one, do, you mean the good one, yeah, <laughs> and then decided to go to like do a, a big role playing game session in our friend's big house. But like, there was like twenty of us, all Amazing. of them were like actor kids, right? And we were left unattended for big periods of time because you know the, the game master couldn't game master for twenty people at once. That's just not physically possible. I know, I've tried. It's not physically possible. So then next thing you know, you've just got these like theater kids who are bored or who are just left to their own devices and things get out of hand real quick, um, which can be glorious. So like once you know in a LARP that like you're handing over that level of power, mm. um, then 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 it becomes this like mad dance between the the LARPer, like the, the, the players and the storytellers or the game masters or the puppet masters or however, however the people running the <laughs> madhouse want to yeah. style themselves. So, yeah, so, I think a lot of that that you're talking about, like we feared that happening. and I don't think as much of that happened as we, as we feared. If anything, we were extremely we want, lucky. Yeah. That, we wanted more. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really like, all right, we felt at, at a certain point in the season, which was probably fairly early on, we felt like our biggest responsibility was to honor how much people were getting into the game and were really locking into what we were trying to get them to lock into. And, you know, they, they were just, you know, yes-anding the hell out of us. Mm. And, uh, like, we, we really, like, never or virtually never felt like people were trying to sort of, like, take what we were offering and go in an opposite direction with it. Like, if anything, they were going in completely the same direction, like, so fast and so far that we were like, okay, we need to, like, <laughs> we need to talk about how to keep up with them and... Uh, and make it seem like, you know, make it, make their intention, you know, kind of fit into ours going forward because, uh, you know, they are, they are really showing up for us in so many ways. And, uh, well, did you feel like they were getting like ahead of you guys? Cause that becomes like the, the ARG puppet master crisis, like, like the legendarily, you know, like the first ARG, they thought they had six months worth of content and it was like figured out in a day. Yeah, we've um, got, if you if there's a problem in like a gaming or a LARPing situation, we've run into it. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it's sort of, I mean, there, there's so many touch points, mm. right? Because like the interface you guys have, you know, you, you have, I, I think one of the things that, that's really interesting about what you guys have set up is just the fact that there, that there are, there's uptime and there's downtime. There's temple events, so there's kind of like game night. So in some ways, it does look like there's a bit of the blockbuster LARP to it, and that it's like here is when we're going to be playing, or and and it, and a little bit of like the recurring LARP. Here is when you know these events are going to be. So there's a little bit of a, a modular nation, and and a modular aspect to it, and that feels like a a, a very clever approach to 
to the ARG problem, which is always on, always with the ravenous characters. Right. I mean, you guys, yeah. you guys built in downtime for yourself. So I want to talk about that decision a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, I think, uh, a lot of that was, uh, just, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that was kind of a group decision of just like, okay, well, we know that we want to, you know, commit as much time as we can to the players, but also like logistically, we need, we need time in between the events to, you know, digest what happened and um, make adjustments because, you know, not even necessarily make adjustments in terms of like, oh, something went wrong and we need to make an adjustment. So like make adjustments in terms of people, you know, people did something and we want that to be reflected in the next week's events. Mm. And that was like a sort of mission statement from the beginning that as much as we could do that, we wanted to do that so that people felt like they were having an impact on the game. So that like something they did would be mentioned on the news the next week. And then, so then it's like a mad dash to like, okay, well we have to, we have to like record the news by a certain time. We have to get this thing into there so that they're mentioning this thing that happened. Um, And then, you know, if, you know, and then more generally, if there was anything, you know, sort of narratively happening that, uh, was going to be impacted by choices the audience made or, you know, a direction we felt that they were going that we didn't want to sort of like head them off from, then we needed time to do that. So like for all of these reasons, we knew we needed some like isolated downtime that was uh, that was just, you know, for us to to recover and and figure out how to move forward. So having like a, you know, sort of like four days on, three days off seemed to make sense. Uh, and also that seemed to make, it easier for the audience to plan too, because, you know, we're above and anything else. We're asking a lot from the audience members in this. We're asking mm. for a lot of time commitment. Uh, we're giving a lot, but we're also asking a lot. So we, we wanted to make it very clear that like, okay, these are the days that you will actually, you know, be sort of called upon to attend things and listen to things and so forth. But also these are the only days that are really going to be available to you in terms of experience. So you don't have to try to be the best person in school and show up seven days a week and think that you're going to get more out of it <laughs> if you do that. And certainly, <laughs> you know, like I've had, we've all had those experiences at immersive events where we're like, oh, oh, if I don't go into that room too, like I might miss out on something. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted it to be very clear that like, this is like, we're scheduling this and this is all that you, you know, will, will get out of the, you know, out of the experience. So there's no, there's no ambiguity about like, you know, maybe you could get a little more or you're missing something or whatever. If you, you know, if you show up or don't show up outside of these hours. Yeah. There's, there's something very soothing about that. Oh, <laughs> that's great yeah. to hear. That's, that's great, what we yeah. wanted. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, like, like the minute I saw your guys' schedule and you guys had laid a calendar out and like, these are the days we're on. I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, thank God. Right. Because you know, there's, there's a way in which, particularly in the, in the ARG form, you know, like the ask can be very large. It's like, you know, be ready at any time to like, you know, throw over your whole life. And I know that for a lot of people, that is a feature and not a bug. But there's also so many people who could never engage with some of these techniques because they, they can't drop their lives. Uh, at, a, yeah. at a moment's notice and that leaves out you know a lot of a, a lot of folks out of the fun and so seeing that structure right from the start um it was it was it was really great to know that the the sandbox had some some serious limits on it because then also you you 
don't get into this mode of absolute FOMO, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Or, or, or feeling completely out of sync, you know, and, and needing, needing to catch up, even though, of course, you know, there's, there's parallel tracks going on and et cetera, et cetera. And it is possible. And anytime there's like, you know, a couple of dozen people, you know, and, and even more characters running around a space, it is easy to like fall off, but you, you don't, you at least know when you need to like get it together and like show up, like to kind of fall back in school, you know, metaphor, like at least, you know, when the quiz is. Right. And the quiz is every Saturday. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we definitely, in every immersive experience we create, I think we, we want the good kind of FOMO where you know that it has been designed around you getting a certain, you know, subset of this experience and other people are getting a different set and they're getting things that you're not getting, but you're also getting things that they're not getting. And it's all very clearly designed that way. So you don't have to worry that you're missing something because you didn't do enough or anything like that. You know, like it's like, there's a, there's a sweet spot right in there. I think. What was one of the things, what was one of the big highlights for you guys uh, in season one? When did you feel like you sort of hit your stride and and was there a particular moment uh, where you thought, okay, this is working for us now? Um, I, I will say, I'm curious what, what Shoshana thinks, but, uh, we, you know, we had a series of, uh, basically Friday night was our night for zoom events. So we had, you know, four of those through the season and some of them were in the form of sort of like town hall meetings. Cause we thought that that would be a good way to make the players feel engaged with the world, let them interact with important characters. And, uh, you know, when you, plan something that is like that, I mean, obviously a town hall is largely based on question and answer. So if players aren't asking questions, then it's not going to go very long. Like we're, you know, we obviously have a certain amount of scripted content, but we're relying on the players to show up with, you know, some, you know, opinions of their own. And obviously if it had gone a certain way, it would have been absolutely fine. It would have, you know, we, we decide when it ends, it would have been the length that it ended up being. But people were so engaged and asked so many questions and just kept going and probably would have gone for like three hours if we had let them. And I think that was the moment that might've even been in the first week where it was just like, okay, people are really Uh, connecting to this. People are so, uh, people are showing up. Yeah. Yeah, They came in character, like in these characters that they, that we just gave them the tiniest little info of, and they were asking like real in world questions with passion and like almost yeah. to the point where the, the actors were like, Oh, I better. <laughs> I, don't, I, just, just, I mean, the actors we have are incredible. Like they really, really are. I, I really can't say enough good stuff about them. Um, but yeah, to the point where they were like, Oh, I gotta, they're really coming after me here. I'm feeling actually <laughs> nervous. <laughs> I think I think for me that that forum moment was amazing. I, I think for me it was we, one of the nights we had a talent show, so mm-hmm. everyone in character, like in world, did a talent, and a, a group of people got together and wrote a play, like wrote a little sketch um, that was sort of like lambasting the upper class, and just for them to go out of their way and write 
their own little play and then perform it for us. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. And it was actually <laughs> riffing on a pl- on a bad yeah. play that we had put into the world for That's them to right. like perform in Gather. And so they took it and like spoofed it, which is just like amazing to like have someone spoof your work inside the world. It was just, yeah. Oh my gosh. And someone did like an impersonation of yep. another character for their mm-hmm. talent, which like I personally, I, I love... The more inside a joke can be, the funnier I find it. So <laughs> the fact that people were making fun of this fake character that we had created in a fake world with a fake character, just like, I was so happy about that. <laughs> yeah, we we, cre- we, had, we knew that we had created a world that was like memeable. And that yes, was really exciting. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, have, what have you guys learned in season one that's that you're was there anything you learned that like wasn't working and you're 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 kind of getting a chance to like retool as you go forward uh i mean i i don't i don't think there's anything that we said like you know just like oh that didn't work at all x that move on i think there are you know a million things that were that were tweaking uh but mostly I think the a lot of the information that we got from season one was like, you know, and, and I think this is true across like all of the experiences that that I've worked on is it's like until you do the thing, you don't know sort of like, OK, where do I need to try harder and where do I actually not need to try that hard? Mm. And, you know, you're a human being. You only have so much bandwidth or, you know, you only have so much bandwidth as a team. So obviously you're limited in, t- in how much you can give on any particular thing. So sort of learning like where to balance um, the amount of um, like preparation we were putting into things or the amount that we were, the amount and how we were engaging players. uh, I think that was really useful because honestly, we sort of, we really, uh, largely we planned the season around player engagement and how we were going to make sure that the players felt engaged with uh, as much as possible along these storylines. And uh, there were some aspects of doing that that worked really well to sort of empower them and make them feel like they were part of and invested in a story. And there were parts of it where it was like, oh, they've actually, they've kind of got it. And we don't need to um, sort of like spoon feed them the amount that we maybe thought we did through different different methods of communication. So uh, yeah, I think it was it was largely about sort of where to where to balance our our efforts. But um, yeah, I, and and Shoshana may. Yeah, I, <laughs> no, I think I think that's I think that's per, the perfect way to say it is figuring out where to balance our energies and where that energy is best understood and received by the audience. And the audience is learning too. kind of like I said before, like, I think this is true of immersive theater on the whole, like, we've this is a it's a new entertainment medium yeah it's been around for a while but like come on it's new it's very new and audiences so that means the audience is new too it means that they have new roles for themselves about behavior and expectations and uh yeah like like what they can do um so i think and because because it's so new we have no idea what kind of audience they are either. So I think we, for season two, I think we have a much better handle on 
how audiences behave in this type of show and how best to, you know, honor the energy that they're giving us. It sounds like between those two, I see something around just kind of like the, some of the preparation and sort of the information flow, like yeah. that there, that there's a lot more, maybe the, the audience would be a lot more proactive uh, than, than you were anticipating. And so that's going to you know, free up your time to be maybe a little bit more reactive. Am I, am I reading between the lines there? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are, you know, there are very like carefully pre-planned aspects to this and there are very sandboxy aspects yeah. and the more that we can figure out uh, like where is the right space to have, you know, a lot of sort of like, pre-planned storytelling coming at you and where is where are the right moments to inject that sandboxy element so that uh you feel like you know i mean like like speaking personally like just for me you know my my ideal of an immersive experience is often sort of like the idea of putting someone in the middle of a movie or tv Mm. show uh because that's that's just my background and those are those are my my loves pop culturally and when you're when you're doing that, I think that there is a certain amount of like, you want a certain amount of story kind of coming at you so that you feel that you're, uh, you feel like you're being taken care of storyteller wise. You feel like the storyteller has, you know, a firm hand on where things are going, but you also like you're a character in it and you have the ability to like, it's, I think there's a fine line between, um, you know, being in an immersive experience where you feel like, your choices matter and your input matters and you know on the like it's it's like a fine line uh to straddle where like on one end of that there's the story is completely preset you have no ability to impact anything and you know there can be experiences like that that are perfectly great and satisfying but uh you know it's it's not in that in for me what that sweet spot is and then on the other end there's the experiences you find yourself in where you think they don't have enough planned and they're really relying on me to <laughs> do a lot here. And sometimes those can be fun too. And you get to do a lot, but I always really want to keep things in that frame where it's like, I can, I can impact this. I can't ruin it, but uh, I also like, I'm not going to like change it, change the entire course of it, but they are expecting me to do a certain amount. And that expectation is fun and empowering as opposed to burdensome. I think we really took a lot. And I think even more this, this season uh, really taking a lot from, uh, from role-playing games, not just LARPs, but I think also like hmm, Dungeons and Dragons or really any role-playing game. I feel the, ideal sort of role-playing idea is that you have you have gears that are in motion you have an overall plot that's you have characters and events that are going to happen and they're and sorry you have events that are going to happen and you have characters that are going to behave in a certain way and you as a player can't really alter those but as a player, you can alter everything else around it. You can alter how you approach that problem. You can alter, um, maybe even emotionally, you can impact what's going to happen. 
Um, so it's this really nice balance of like, like, as you said, Noah, like, okay, I've got these characters in a tavern. I really want them to go to dark mountain tower, but if they never go to dark mountain tower, the stuff that was going to happen there is going to happen. Like evil's going to rise up. They're going to destroy everything. If you decide to stay in the tavern, you're not being punished for staying in the tavern, but that's the way the world works. <laughs> and, I, I, and I feel like that gives a really ideal situation for, for our show where, you know, we have characters, we have events that are going to happen. The characters that we've created are going to behave how they behave. They're going to react to what the players do in a certain way. Um, but the players still have an emotional and a plot impact in, in, in the way that they can, but they can't really change the gears. Like, maybe they can swap out a tiny gear or maybe they can throw a <laughs> wrench in the gears or maybe they can, you know, affect what the gears do, but the gears are the gears. And I feel like that creates a really nice safety for, for us and for the audience and also really informs how we're going to react. So if the audience does do something completely unexpected, we're not really caught that unawares because we understand how the characters, we understand how the gears work. There's there's something um, there's something to the I, to the notion that you know when when you're playing like a video game role playing game like I always think of Skyrim right like mm. I play far along with Skyrim because it's beautiful and you know during the Connect era you could you know use the Connect microphone to do all the dragon calls so you're standing from your t- TV going full stuff and then like <laughs> effects are going off which is like freaking awesome but then you know i only got about maybe two-thirds of the way through that game before i realized that the only way to keep the world from ending was if i put down the quest because mm. every time i advance like the world was only advancing if i advanced the plot like like mm. that's the thing about being you know the chosen one plot is like the only solution the war was only going to happen if i like completed that mission over on that part of the map and that would like advance the war i'm like wait a second you mean i can just keep the peace if i don't go to that thing oh, wow. like right you know and so that's why i said and like i and i kind of broke skyrim for me even though like you know it's years later there's all these beautiful mods i would love to check it out the story of skyrim is still in the suspended animation point because i know that if i take up the mantle then that world is going to go through an apocalypse. And I'm like, that's, and I think of that as, for a while I thought of it as bad design. Now I think of it as like an, an unfortunate consequence of, of the, the lack of agency, oddly enough, that the supporting cast has. And one of the things that's really great in a LARP or a, a tabletop game is that the the supporting characters? You know, you can treat them really as characters. Like they, they can, mm. they can just want things more than you do, right? <laughs> and the players can kind of be tourists in a world. It's like, oh, we're here to have fun and check things out. We're gonna hang out a thing. But like, someone shows up who like really wants what's in that tower, and is gonna start pushing the world around to get what they want. And then the players are gonna have to be like, oh man that guy is harshing our mellow. <laughs> we need to do something about it or we need to go and get rich because clearly this guy's a go-getter, right? 
And so that's something that, that that's an affordance that having humans and not code yeah. uh, gives us an advantage to all the kind of way that like this stuff gets made. Well, wow, Noah, that's so poignant. Not doing anything keeps the world at peace. That's like, <laughs> man, we could get really into that. Well, well, you know, in, in a video game world where, you know, everything's everything's gated. I mean, well, that was the thing. Like, I was just getting frustrated because, like, I was sitting there going, like, oh, like, why hasn't this war advanced? I've been to this town, like, four times. That's the other thing. Like, the verisimilitude of it. It's like, a, like oh, they've been, they've been just waiting for this army to march, which is literally a mile away for the past three days of game time. This is dumb, yeah. right? As opposed to like, I wanted, I I wanted those kind of dilemma choices, right? Like, I wanted the kind of choice of, oh, like I can go here, and and the consequence will be I, opportunity cost. If I go this way, I'm gonna lose this, mm. right? You know, I'll see this, but I won't be able to be in two places at once, right? You know, which is often like, say, when people are writing a Superman story, it's the only way they can like. You know, some people, not the only way, but it's one of the main ways you like make an effective Superman story. It's like, well, do you save, you know, this person or do you save that person? Even with all your speed, all your powers, you can't be in two places at once. Uh, unless you're in a Richard Donner story, in which case he just spins around the earth and goes backwards. But still, that was sort of the point of that story. Yeah. And I mean, I think, we're, you know, we, we are trying to do, you know, a sort of like, real-time version of something you know approaching skyrim or something like that yeah and it is really hard because you know yeah when they made skyrim that probably took seven years of design to build this world where you can go all these places and when you go this place there's something to do that's already been designed for you and when you go this place there's something else to do and everything and you know we can design a certain amount but like we also have to limit where you can go and what you can do and we have to make that feel organic to the world because, I mean, that's that's always one of my principles of immersive design is that if you feel like you're hitting the boundaries of the world, then the world has not been designed well. You want to feel like, oh, the, like, I don't even want to go to the to that wall. I want to go like, you know, six inches from that wall. And then I know that I'm good. Uh, and when you're doing an in-person show, it's it's very easy to have those boundaries because like, you know, in, in, in Safe House 77 or Safe House 82, which was done in the same house, it's it's a thousand square foot house. You can go anywhere in that house, but you know if you leave that house and walk down the street, you're not in the show anymore. <laughs> like you can, you know, we can design everything to engage you within that space, and you know that you need to stay within that space. It's very organic. Well, uh, when like we create this, this giant is, online world, the, it's the characters, right? Yeah, and when so we create like this giant online world, it's a very different thing because the boundaries of where you feel like you can go. Well, first of all, it's an imaginary world. It's not. It's not a physical space uh, and we are defining it as a kingdom and, you know, with all of this stuff and uh, you know, it's uh, so, yeah, it's just sort of like, you know, keeping people comfortably within those bounds and making them want to uh, stay there and making them feel like everything important is happening within what we define. And that's always sort of an ongoing challenge. Well, when you have like, like inside the house, you know, inside the, the safe house, you know, the, the primary feature is the characters. And, yeah, you know, it's like those relationships you've got with the relationships those people have to each other, and then those relationships people have to you, right? Like that's what that's what, it's the same thing like in one's own life. What, what keeps you around other people, mm. you know, like or what makes you ultimately like just like pack your bags and leave is the people. It's it's <laughs> rarely if ever actually a city. Like people might say like L.A. did me dirty, 
But like, did Los Angeles actually get up and <laughs> yeah. do you dirty, or was it somebody in Los Angeles who got up and did you dirty? It's, the answer is probably the people, right? You know, like Sartre said, hell, it's other people. Um, and so, I, I, I guess that's that's a, something we haven't talked about um, is just how big your cast is, right? Because you've got to you between all the different sort of I want to say like products <laughs> like all the different lines you have of, mm. of the way the characters manifest themselves you got a you got a pretty big cast around here but how, how many how many folks are you i think it's close to 15 people in the cast and then there's some people who you might see but they're not necessarily a cast member right so yeah, in terms of like performers who you would see some version of, yeah, then it's like there's like another like eight or ten or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then within that, yeah, we have the cast members who are like, yeah, me and Shoshana both play characters in it, and we're also members of the core creative team. So, you know, we can sort of uh, you know, jump in at any time and do something in character, whereas, you know, someone who we've just engaged as an actor, we're, you know, very clearly defying what they're you know what their requirements are and everything and where and, and what we're asking of them and we're not just going to like call them up at 2 p.m on a thursday and be like <laughs> can you run in and do this like no of course not. like that would be that would be abusive um but uh we you know it's it's good that like all the members of our core creative team are up for i mean either either up for acting or just straight up are actors uh i mean everyone has acting experience but like you know everyone has uh you know, just, just everyone's willingness to show up like that is great that we have this, this, this core set of people who uh, can, can sort of play both those roles and have so much of the world inside their heads as they're performing is, is great. And then, you know, as much as possible, obviously we're trying to transmit that to the people who aren't part of the core creative team, but we're, are, we are relying on to play uh, important roles. And really, I mean, there isn't an unimportant role in this because anyone who you encounter and impacts the story, you know, you're you as an audience member you're expecting them to you know to understand the world the way you do and uh and so yeah it's 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 a it's an interesting thing to manage and it's also something that um we're trying to improve on for this season is just like you know how do we sort of like spread the story across all of Mm. these players and and everything and uh you know let let all these different uh performers and and characters deliver the story in in surprising ways and uh yeah it's it's uh it's fun and it's challenging and it's uh it's very interesting yeah i gotta wonder how how do you guys you know bring an actor who maybe hasn't like you know been on been on set for a few days up to speed you know uh like is there like a a pre-brief before Good question. Before like a, a, a <laughs> sessions or or when during the gather, which the gather has like the most like LARP kind of vibe mm-hmm. to it. Uh, I'm so excited for what's happening in gather in second season. I don't I don't <laughs> know how much we can talk about it, but I'm very excited about well, it. It'd be good to tease <laughs> a little bit here, you know, like if this is only like a promotion <laughs> for you guys yeah. on a certain level. Here's yeah. your chance. You know, Let's, I'll, I'll just say we we are pushing gather to its limits. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I mean, we are some things gather is is very limited in those so other things it does really well and it's getting surprisingly good well yeah i mean in the first season we kind of saw gather as the opportunity for i mean we, we were we were playing with it the same place the same way as anyone was like we were experimenting with it we were like oh this is this really cool 
uh, platform that we can use in our experience. Uh, but it was it was largely a way for uh, players to interact with each other, to have some fun, to you know like see things. Like we did have scenes happen in there and everything, but this season we are really using it as a core storytelling element in a way that mm. I don't think we used quite as much in the first season. And I mean, it's really exciting to be able to use Gather that way because Gather is the closest thing to having a video game platform, which is which is what we want to do. I mean, like one of the things that like when we were developing the first season and Caitlin and I were working with this amazing web designer, Mary Schaefer, who is herself a theater geek, uh, and she was designing all these great things for us. And sometimes we'd be like, oh, but can we do this? And she was like, uh, not really because I'm not making a video game here. I'm making a website. <laughs> and uh and but but doing you know having gather like it really enables it to feel like a game and the more that we can you know like like shoshana said it you know really push the envelope and you know incorporate all these different elements into it the more we can actually you know deliver the closest to that experience that we want to it's kind of surprising how much the gather platform has evolved even just in the past couple months like just just since season one's been down you know, I mean, as simple of a change as you can have like a little object that can only seat like two or four people around it, and and those people are the only people who can hear each other talk. Yeah, right. Like yeah. that. That alone makes a world of difference because suddenly you have, you know, semi-private spaces in public spaces, which just coming from you know the the. That, that's something that you can do in real life right. by closing a door, but nothing was affording that online right now other than like, oh, spin up a separate, you know, Zoom. Or, yeah, like know. break whatever they, what are they, break, breakout rooms? Is breakout, that what they're called? Yeah. Breakout rooms. But then like, it's just so clunky and just, yeah. and, and also, you know, you, you can, you can't tell who's talking, right? There's something about like, hmm. oh, like, Donnie and Marie are talking to each other. What are they talking about? Let's go try and listen. We can't hear them. Oh, we've got to know what they're talking about. Oh my gosh, that happened last time in Gather. Oh my gosh, this is another one of my favorite moments was uh, in the in the very beginning, we had um, all of the... So the guilds have um, like leaders. They have like um, guild leaders and they were having a meeting and... Uh, so bad things were happening in this meeting, but it was in a private space, but everyone could see who was in there. I could sort of tell that bad stuff was happening. And there was a couple characters who were just like running around the little private <laughs> space, trying to get in and, and being like, do you need help? Are you okay? Like just trying to, and it was, uh, it was so great. <laughs> oh Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I, remember, I remember. I remember that moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was able to, What's going on in there? Yeah. Like some, somehow something was like blocking the way through. I think, I think you guys did like a good job of like making it look like a character was blocking it, even though that's like, not something that actually like works in Gather because of like the ghosting function. So mm. like there was there was, some, there was something about the way it was set up that that was that was uh, it convincingly felt like oh, oh someone's someone's barring the doorway you know uh and and those that you know it's funny how those simple like spatial character things like raise the stakes right mm-hmm. you know like um but they but they do you know like it, it makes this this whole 
it was sort of like the the social animal pack animal part of human instinct. Oh, there's something so beautiful about immersive theater that connection that you get with the audience where you can tell that they genuinely care about your character is just so that's a connection on a level that I've never it's so magical it's so magical when you basically create an imaginary relationship that produces real emotions yeah and when we in in one of our final town halls when we had people like audience members like truly standing up for the character that they cared about like that was another just amazing thing uh we had uh uh reed sites who's who's one of our corporate producers and is also uh the the person like in in the game she's the guild master and in real life she's also the guild master and uh (laughs) we had you know we had some like she was not being treated well by by prince duke jonathan and all of the uh, all of the players in the Zoom started changing their their last name to Gale, and just <laughs> <laughs> as like a protest, and that was just a beautiful moment. It was like the like Hunger Games, everyone holding up the three fingers moment for for us. Oh, well, she's so good. <laughs> well, Reed is a is a fantastic um, improviser, so uh, it makes it makes a lot of sense. She is so great. Yeah, <laughs> and she and she's a it. she's a dungeon master. She brings a lot of RPG knowledge, and I mean it's 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 great that we just have this like you know, diverse team of people that are, that are all bringing something. And we have, you know, of course we have Tommy Haunton, who's, you know, like in just absolute genius when it comes to, you know, puzzles and uh, anything involving, you know, like solving things and, and, you know, complicated paths through things and everything. Uh, You know, we have, we have Shoshana who has, you know, a, a ton of skills that are, you know, that are relying on heavily to, you know, also, you know, dungeon mastering stuff. Uh, we have Mayana, who Mayana Brin, who, who plays Scarlet, and you know, and and is one of our producers, and and also just has this great gaming background and great sense of like you know what a player is going to want. Uh, and for this season, we have Weston Gaylord, who's one of the creators of Chained Victorian Nightmare, and uh, he, yeah, I think I think Shoshana said we don't exactly want to say what his creative role is, but we'll just say that like he's definitely helping with our world building and uh, sort of. Uh, yeah, like world building elements, we'll just say for uh, <laughs> for the sake of. And then, of course, you know, uh, Caitlin Schiller, who, uh, you know, brings a ton of theatrical and immersive and game knowledge. And the first season was not performing at all. But this season, uh, minor non-spoiler alert, she is playing Robin Loxley. And that's our sort of. Uh, the big thing that we revealed at the end of last season is that uh, yes, in this version, Robin is a woman. Robin is played by Caitlin, and we're really excited to sort of uh, let Caitlin loose as a performer this time around. So yeah, and, we're really blessed to have all these people. And Caitlin's done a lot of the the visual look yes, um, of absolutely. the show, and that especially when everything's imaginary, having that visual stuff really helps. Yeah, really can- makes everything seem real. Caitlin is a fantastic uh, graphic designer and artist, and so like there's there's real you know multiple threat energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's one thing to have like you know the love of games and everything and and embrace that, but it's another thing to be able to actually take that and translate it into physical elements, which Caitlin is able to do. And you know, and she's she is the the person who is you know building our our gather world and is doing uh, and, and and really is taking it to the next level this season. Oh, and we can't possibly forget Amanda. 
Of course not. <laughs> yes. Uh, our, our stage manager and uh, yeah, she's just got, she is amazing. She really keeps us on track. She also has a gaming background, uh, which is really great because it's such a good asset because it really helps your brain think about multiple storylines, multiple characters, um, plot chains, those sort of things. She's got a really amazing grasp on that thank goodness because i know (laughs) it's like it's a lot nobody could keep everything we're doing in one brain (laughs) yeah there's something you know a a sufficiently complicated larp like can be symphonic in nature you know there's all these different sections there's these different themes and motifs running through it and yet, you know, the, the kind of the, the goal in the game is to get everything firing, you know, get the focus going from spot to spot to spot, but have it all crescendo and have like the whole of the orchestra mm. like, reaching a peak together. Uh, and it's, it's something, it's, it, is, it is one of the harder things in, in all of entertainment to do is, is get this kind of thing, um, get this kind of thing going into that mode. Um, but the the flip side to it all is the strength in in having like the the, the agency and the intimacy and having there be so much so much of a dynamic in terms of how the different pieces play off of each other and that kind of, kind of becomes the background radiation for everything that's going on. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I mean, I was going to say when you when you you know we talked about like what you know what sort of did we did we take away from like the the beta test or whatever like there is just a sense that i've gotten over you know doing different types of of virtual shows in the pandemic that you you sort of have to accept that like uh not like the full effort of what you have in your mind and in your heart is not going to translate through the wires uh th- you know onto onto a screen as opposed to in real life that we're used to doing and you know you can you can work really really hard and you can have all of your heart into it and yet you know it's going to come out as an experience on a screen no matter what so there there's like a certain limitation that you sort of have to accept and embrace as much as you can and i think that's another thing that we you know we, we sort of took away is like okay well you know knowing that knowing that like when the the enthusiasm that we have as a group when we talk about doing this uh, once we push it through this mechanism that is not the, you know, not the mechanism that we'd all ideally be working in if, uh, you know, if we had our, our druthers, uh, you know, how can we make it come out the closest to what we would imagine? And uh, and that's, I think that's an ongoing battle with anything online. Um, I've, I've made the metaphor that like when we had to when immersive people had to switch to doing things online, it's like we were all these gourmet restaurants and then overnight someone told us all we could legally make were smoothies and, and okay. uh, Well, we've never made a smoothie before. How do we, we can't like, we made burgers. We can't just put a burger in a blender and call it a smoothie. I guess we could, but it probably wouldn't be very good. Uh, Also, if we just take someone else's smoothie recipe and make it, it's not going to be what we want. So how do we take what's in our hearts and minds and make the best smoothie that we can and act like that was what we were going for all along. And I think that's kind of just the, you know, the ongoing challenge of all this. There is something to the idea of the immersive to online pivot being the ghost kitchen of creative endeavors, you know, 
um, suddenly we're all stuck inside, working the line, uh, and all the products got to go out over a screen. Um, hmm. And then all those delivery boxes. So actually, there's a lot to that. Um, we, we've been at for, for a bit here, and I wanted to give you guys a chance before we wrapped up uh, to sort of set the dramatic scene for season two, because I know it's going to be not only uh, there's a the returning players, but this is also a jumping on point. So uh, set the stage. Uh, where where are we coming in? What's the drama? What's the drama here? <laughs> Take it away, Nick. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say you're going to go for it. Uh, well, well, first of all, I mean, we, we definitely want to make it very clear that we are uh, embracing wholeheartedly the idea that people will jump on in season two who did not see season one. And we promise to catch anyone up who did not see it we are definitely designing it so that uh you do not have to have experienced the first season to understand and enjoy what's going on here uh you know we will be of course uh you know honoring and rewarding the people who who did do season one with us but this is you know and and this is a serialized experience but also season two is sort of the start of a new story and we are uh bringing in a lot of new elements that are are just are just brand new to the world and uh so we you know just to just to sort of establish that that we're not we're not expecting people to have experienced this entire previous season uh we think that you will have a great time regardless of whether whether you saw it or not uh but narratively uh season one ended very climactically with the death of king richard and king richard was uh as as in folklore a very a uh, beloved king who really was was charismatic and really loved his people, but uh, was uh, ultimately betrayed by by who or what we're not going to say right now. But uh, his best intentions were ultimately thwarted, and he was he was killed. And so now we are entering season two with probably closer to what people understand as the story of Robin Hood. We have. Uh, in, instead of Prince John, we have Duke Jonathan, who is uh, in charge of the cities of Sherwood and Nottingham, which are two cities where players can can reside in. And he is aided by the Sheriff of Nottingham. And in a little bit of a twist, in this version, the Sheriff of Nottingham is Marion. And Marion, uh, on top of that, is also a former spy in what we call the Royal Hooded Guard. So that's where we sort of get the, the hood aspect. And Robin, of course, is also a former hood because if you know, Robin Hood has to be that. <laughs> so uh, we have we have Robin Loxley coming back into this world after a long time away because she's been very disillusioned for a lot of reasons. Uh, and the 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 story of this season is going to be how do these good people, the the players, and our sort of uh, equivalent of the the merry men and everything stand up to these very powerful, very uh, deceitful people and reclaim their their world and uh, you know whether whether you're a citizen of Sherwood which is sort of the the working class common people city or a, a, a citizen of Nottingham which is the uh, the rich city the 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 really the really fancy city uh, and by the way we have we have one uh, authentic British person in the cast who has clarified our pronunciations on everything so it is Nottingham uh. it's not Nottingham as we as those of us like me who grew up in Massachusetts with places like Framingham uh, thought it was. But um, anyway, we uh, those 
both those sets of of players are you know as we learned from season one are very much going to be on the side of uh of wanting justice and wanting you know the 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 good guys to win so the decks are very much stacked against that we don't know how it's going to play out but uh it's going to be dependent on everyone to uh to get together and uh and ensure that that good prevails and uh there's there's fun and games and food and drinks and all of that uh but it's a it's a whole serialized four week story that we hope will be uh, really exciting and really engaging for people. And when do you guys kick off? Uh, the season begins properly on Wednesday, May twelfth. That's the first day that we have uh, live events of the new season. Uh, it runs through June fifth, and yeah, tickets are on sale now. We have two levels of participation. So, uh, if all of the things that we've talked about in terms of being really active in the game and really uh, like deeply connecting, if that appeals to you, then great. We we would love for you to buy a VIP ticket, and that uh, enables you to be a member of a guild. It enables you to be involved in a sort of deeper level in the story and have a lot of like really meaningful interactions. If you want to be more of an observer to the story and uh, just kind of enjoy the narrative beats and enjoy exploring the world, but not necessarily have to like show up for everything and not you know, worry that you're, you know, going to miss on important story events. Uh, then we also have the the citizen spectator ticket, which is a lower level and uh, sort of asks a little bit less of you. And so we, we have tried to uh, make it possible to engage with this experience on, uh, on a couple of different levels. All right. And if people want to follow up, where can they find you? So you can get uh, tickets to the show at spybrunch.com and, uh, we're also at Spy Brunch on all social media, and uh, that's, uh, yeah. All right. Well, Nick and Shoshana, thank you both for coming and talking to us about season two of Sherwood and Nottingham. Oh, thank you, uh, Noah. Thank you, Noah. And yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting the after action report. So, Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I want to thank Nick and Shoshana for being our guests on the show today. You can find what they're up to at Spy Brunch. The links are in the show notes. Um, you know, I, I didn't tell you when it came to the review crew this week what we talked about, uh, which might entice you to, if not, jump on the Patreon, uh, at least crack it open on Monday to see what's going on. Um so Kevin uh, talked about uh, this amazing dinner uh, experience that he had, uh, just inviting these, virtually inviting these two clowns, literally, they're, they're, they're clowns, uh, into, <laughs> I don't say it lately, uh, into his home, alt, alt clowns, alternative clowns, uh, into his home uh, to have them basically uh, do chopped with his uh, kitchen. If if you don't know what Chopped is, then you don't know just how amazing uh, <laughs> the prospect of someone making you do Chopped in your own kitchen is. But that's what they did. 
and he it sounds like a delightful time. And I think like the, the bones of the recipe that, that I made uh, are going to be in the review that will be going up early next week, but he talked about it. Um, we had uh, Patrick talking about flow weaver, which is a new, uh, escape game, uh, for the Oculus. Um, uh, Laura talked about her uh, her experience with the caravan, uh, which really cracked open t- uh, a, a discussion about uh, a lot of issues around just uh, prepping people and triggers and and kind of kind of how marketing your show um, in an opaque way can occasionally lead you to like you can wind up with with audience who who aren't prepared or who might just want to nope out of what you're doing. And, and that just kind of winds up wasting a lot of almost everybody's time. So uh, we cracked into that in the discussion. Uh, and then I, uh, at the top of it all, uh, I had just gotten back from elsewhere at the Madcap Motel, uh, which I wrote up today, but I was fresh off my, um, off my experience. Literally had like been there in downtown LA and then like driven back home. In fact, uh, if I hadn't had to drive back, I probably would have spent a little more time, uh, which would have let me like eat, relax into the space. Not that I was like nervous in the, the motel at all. I was actually like super comfortable, which kind of surprised me because that was the first thing I had done in a year, like in person, like not counting like the drive through stuff. Like I was boots on the ground in a space with performers. Everyone's masked. But like, just you know, it was like something out of 2019, y'all. You know, like pre-pandemic-ish action. And uh, Madcap, Madcap was set to open. The I think their opening night press party thing was the very night that the um, that the NBA called it all off. So kind of the day the pandemic started. Uh, so just we've been waiting a very long time for this to open up and uh, I will, I will hold there because the rest of it I do in the other piece. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to lure you into going into the other space and listening to the other podcast. There you go. Or, or read, read the thing, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> trying to develop some discipline. My dentist said that like, she, she's like, you must be a very disciplined person. I'm like, what are you talking about? How much have I done a snow job on my dentist? Because uh, I am I am chaos incarnate. Catherine will tell everyone. Um, let's see. That's that's enough from here for now. It's like late afternoon. Uh, this one's going out, you know, around nine o'clock Eastern. But um, yeah, we've got uh, we've got a whole bunch of podcasts lined up. There's some really great stuff coming up. Uh, I don't want to tell you what it is because it's not in the can yet. The recording sessions start on Tuesday, but I'm super excited. Um, there are still some advantages to the pandemic, and that is being able to interview people far and wide and no one feeling funky about it. Uh, we also will be uh, going in person to a few spots uh, in the next few weeks now that I'm fully vaxxed. And I just want to, you know, uh, I guess I just want to say con- Congratulations, everybody. We like, it looks like we're, we seem to be coming out the other side of this. I know it's not, that's not universally true. I know that outside of the United States, like there's some spots in the world thinking about India, thinking about Brazil where things are, are, are bad. I think I mentioned this last week, but, um, 
yeah, like just, just, just keep it, keep it level, keep it level. Uh, it's, it's a piece, a fragile piece, but a piece nonetheless. Uh, and I just, I'm really happy that, um, we're, we're getting a chance. We're getting a chance. Ah, there we go. We're getting a chance here. So I, I hope we, I hope we do right by the chance. Okay. Um, that's enough for now. Uh, I miss you all. I, I look forward to seeing you as soon as it is actually possible to do that. Let us do the credits. Uh, that's the second here, the click, click of the keyboard. That's me going with the credits. So music for no proscenium is by Chris Porter of the speakeasy society. The sustaining backers of no proscenium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F. Sidney Guillory, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Emily Gillette, Samuel Mustry, Brittany, and Elaine. Thank you all. Uh, if you want to help us stay around patreon.com slash no proscenium, we are on the march to get 500 backers halfway to the thousand true fan marker. Um, it's just time. It's time we did that. So please, please, if you can. And if you've already done that, please, uh, go, go review us and rate us on your podcast app of choice. It helps people discover us. Please share the rundown. Um, there might be stuff in there that like you're not interested in, but someone in your friend group might love the sound of that. And that's one of the reasons why we made the rundown is so that y'all can share what's going on. Oh, so easily. All right. Um, that's it for now until next time. Sincerely. Thank you for wearing the mask. <laughs>